You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. The central image of Christ on the cross as the savior of the world communicates the message that suffering is redemptive. So what do we do with this passage from John's gospel? Welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery and this is episode 363 and our title this week is Reinterpreting the Easter Story. This week's reading is from John's Gospel, John 12, 20 through 33. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus, and Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for the judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The statement that jumps out at me each time I read this passage are, are these words from Jesus, this glorification of death. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Statements like these seem to be more prevalent in, in John's version of the Jesus story, and they trouble me. They bring to mind the writings and the critiques of, of both womanist and feminist Christians who, who recount that these passages have borne destructive and even death-dealing fruit in their communities. For example, womanist scholar Dolores Williams, writing of how uh, destructive holding up Jesus's death as an example for black women has been, she states African-American Christian women can, through their religion and its leaders, be led passively to accept their own oppression and suffering if the women are taught that suffering is redemptive. That's from her book, Sisters in the Wilderness, page 160. She also writes on page 132, as Christians, black women cannot forget the cross, but neither can they glorify it. 
To do so is to glorify suffering and to render their exploitation sacred. Two pages earlier, Williams explains the the resurrection does not depend upon the cross for life, for the cross only represents the historical evil trying to defeat good. The resurrection of Jesus and the flourishing of God's spirit in the world as the result of the resurrection represent the life of the ministerial vision, gaining victory over the evil's attempt to kill it. Thus, to respond meaningfully to black women's historic experience of surrogacy and surrogacy oppression, the womanist theologian must show that redemption of humans can have nothing to do with any kind of surrogate or substitute role Jesus was reputed to have played in a bloody act that supposedly gained victory over sin and or evil. There are similar reflections that come from from Christian feminist scholars like Elizabeth Bettenhausen, who, who writes, Christian theology has long imposed upon women a norm of imitative self-sacrifice based on the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth. Powerlessness is equated with faithfulness when the cross is also interpreted as the salvific work of an all-powerful paternal deity. Women's well-being is as secure as that of a child cowering before an abusive father. And in the same book, uh, Joan Carlson Brown and Rebecca Parker, they write in their groundbreaking essay for God so loved the world, women are acculturated to accept abuse. We come to believe that it is our place to suffer. Christianity has been a primary, and in many women's lives, the primary force in shaping our acceptance of abuse. The central image of Christ on the cross as the savior of the world communicates the message that suffering is redemptive. And in the book Beyond the Father by Mary Daly, um, uh, Daly writes, the qualities that Christianity idealizes, especially for women, are also those of a victim. Sacrificial love, passive acceptance of suffering, humility, meekness, etc. Since these are the qualities idealized in Jesus who died for our sins, his functioning as a model reinforces the scapegoat syndrome for women. That's on page 77. So what do we do with this passage from John's gospel? Well, first, I understand how desperately some people in the early Jesus community needed to make sense of Jesus's unjust execution. So many had placed their hopes for change and liberation in his teachings, and he had been executed by the very status quo he had spoken out against. And I can only imagine early followers grappling with what this all meant for them and their decision to follow Jesus. And and I understand why, especially with Paul's popularity among Gentile Christians, why so many would come to see Jesus' death as salvific and redemptive. But today, I find much more positive fruit in life-affirming interpretations of the Jesus narrative, like those from womanist theologian Reverend Dr. Kelly Brown Douglas, who in, in Stand Your Ground, Black Bodies and the Justice of God, she writes, God's power 
is not a power that diminishes the life of another so that one so that others might live. God's power respects the integrity of all human bodies and the sanctity of life. This is resurrecting power. That's page 178. In other words, God doesn't overcome death and death dealing through more death, but by giving life, resurrecting life, life that, that overcomes, reverses, and, and undoes everything accomplished in the killing of Jesus. And also science has something to teach us about this passage. Seeds that germinate, they haven't died. Germination is not death. It's transformation. When seeds die, they don't germinate. They, when seeds die, they actually do abide alone. But if they, if they germinate instead of dying, they transform or they sprout into a new form, a, a, a beautiful plant with the potential to propagate and create more potentially germinating seeds that continue to give life. It's just life on top of life, on top of life, on top of life. And as we shared a couple weeks ago, in other versions of the Jesus story, Jesus died because he refused to keep silence in the face of injustice. The cross was not his silent, passive bearing of injustice, but an unjust penalty that was imposed on him by unjust people in an unjust system, and the people who were in power within that system who felt threatened by him, and his public critique of their unjust system. So in other words, Jesus doesn't model passively bearing wrong. He models how to speak out against injustice, even if you're threatened with a cross for doing so. And I didn't always teach this, but I'm thankful for, for womanist and feminist scholars like those that I've mentioned, even in this podcast, who, who, who brought these ideas to my attention. The way that I used to interpret and teach the story of Jesus's death it's had devastating effects on the lives of, of abuse survivors and victims. Suffering is never redemptive. Standing up, speaking out, saying no is redemptive. And glorifying people's victimization, it can extend uh, their bodily, emotional, and physical pain. Uh, victimization can, can destroy their self-worth, their self-image, their dignity. It can rob them of their, their sense of self-determining power. And theology that glorifies victimization rather than condemning or resisting it it can also lead to actual death. Life-giving interpretations of the Jesus story, they tell of a Jesus who doesn't ask us if we're willing to suffer, but asks us if, we're, if we desire to fully live, to not let go of life, to not lay down, to, to, to not be passively silent when threatened for speaking out. Jesus didn't come to die, nor did he choose the cross. He chose rather to live a life that was opposing unjust, oppressive, and exploitative ways of organizing life in this world. Jesus chose not to remain silent. He chose to stand in faithfulness to his life-giving God, and he refused to change course because of the threat of a cross. Jesus knew where his speaking out would lead. He knew what his solidarity with the excluded, the exploited, the marginalized would cost him, and he chose to do it nonetheless. He, he refused to let go of life. He rejected the way of death, even while being threatened with death himself. In the words of Brown and Parker, choosing the, this kind of interpreting of the Jesus story, it's subtle, and to use their words, to some 
it is specious, but in the end, it makes a great difference in how people interpret and respond to suffering. And indeed, it makes all the difference in the world. This week, let's not ask ourselves, how can we die? Jesus doesn't call a person to die but to live. So what is it going to take instead for us to to germinate? Heart group application this week, share something that spoke to you from this week's e-site or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, share with your group examples of how you've witnessed the message of, of redemptive suffering actually bearing harmful fruit. How do you interpret the story of of Jesus' death and resurrection in life-giving and and life-affirming ways? And number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone. Thanks for checking in with us today, right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working towards justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.